Good morning. Welcome to Driving Theology. This is Mike, and I am uh, forgetful this morning. I think we'll be all right. Let's see what time it is. Ah, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. Although I haven't poured my coffee yet, so <clears throat> I have to pour some coffee at the first first stop I make. <clears throat> so, how's everybody doing? I uh, spent the morning yesterday in in the clinic. Um, got a few ailments bugging me that uh. Most of them have been there for a couple of years and I just wanted to get some definitive information on what's actually going on. You know, whatever is going on in your body with your muscles or your joints or your bones, you can't really see. It's something internal. And so you need to you need to go to a professional who can who can use uh, professionally developed equipment and has the ability to interpret that equipment to see what's going on inside of you. So I got a couple x-rays, an x-ray on my toe, an x-ray on my knee, and then next week I'll have a uh, MRI on my shoulder. And these are kind of three places that have just been bug bugging me, although the knee is uh, more recent. So what I found out yesterday with my toe and my knee is that you know, basically they're telling me my age and also my weight. Um, so I'm, the cartilage between my bones is uh, diminishing, which is fairly normal, I guess. Um, but because I've got a little extra weight, especially on my knee, uh, it tends to compact a little bit more probably. And so I really need to lose some weight uh, as well as uh, strengthen my muscles around my knee. I guess I'll continue to work on that. Sorry, this is kind of loud. Let's turn down the air conditioner. But other than that, it is a beautiful uh, February morning. It's sunny, a little bit cold because it's so clear. Uh, it's one of those things you learn when you get older. Those things kind of go hand in hand. Uh, I'm going to take a minute to pour my coffee. There's nobody behind me. So, maybe I'll go now. Thank you. Sometimes, sometimes politeness is not wanted. <laughs> Kindness is not wanted. <laughs> Uh, sorry, what I'm talking about is, uh, you know, I was sitting there pouring my coffee, and then another lady who, so I'm stopped at a T, right? I'm on the on the tall part of the T, and a lady comes in from the other side who has the right of way, but she decides to to stop and 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 give me uh, time to come out. She decides to be nice, but of course I'm pouring my coffee. I don't really want to come out, but anyway, I'm thankful for people who are kind anyway. Um. I guess I should put my seatbelt on. So, uh, what in the world was I talking about? Um, 
I really can't remember what I was talking about. Yeah, so it's a nice day in February. I just came from the doctor. But I did get information that kind of puts me at ease. You know, in this day and age, we kind of always think the worst when we have some kind of health problem. Like, if I have an ache in my bone, oh, it's got to be bone cancer. Or, you know, uh, the thing in my toe, it happens to be my big toe. I thought, man, do I have gout? You know, kind of thing. Um, but, indeed, no. Uh, the doctor says it's just, you know, cartilage going away, so there's a little bone-on-bone -bone action, and that's pretty normal for, for people my age. Just, you know, try to do a better job and keep it in shape, blah, blah, blah. So, that really puts my mind at ease to get to get that diagnosis. And hopefully, the whatever is going on with my shoulder, it's been going on for really last, I don't know, three, four, five years, something like that. Maybe I'll get some information on that that'll help me out as well. Uh, but today, I thought what I would talk about is the idea of uh, willing participation. Willing participation. I read an article, uh, and as a teacher, it, it caught my eye, um, talking about how um, teachers, uh, if if they are to do their job well, to the best of their ability, they need willing participants. Okay, Kids who are wanting and ready and willing to learn. Uh, willing participants, um, of course, uh, learn better. They do better uh, um, academically than than kids who feel like they have been forced to be somewhere they don't want to be. Uh, willing participants uh, make great students. Okay? Um, and of course, this is like a, a given, right? I, I don't think anybody would deny that. You know, it's it's not like that's something that you can, you can deny. Of course, kids who want to learn, learn better. Okay? But this was all in the context of how how teachers are often evaluated. And teachers are often evaluated not by the quality of their teaching, but by the results uh, of their students, right? How students do on tests, for example. But what this teacher points out is uh, is that no matter no matter how well they teach and how hard they work, students who are not willing participants in their education are not going to do well. And they should not be evaluated on that, right? They, they, they should not have to be evaluated on whether or not willing, unwilling participants in their education do well in school and you have to admit they have a point you know it, 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 let's say you're a first grade teacher and I think that's probably about the time the standardized tests start if you're a first grade teacher you you get students who have six years been with their parents or babysitters or grandparents or or probably a combination of all the above and they, by six years old, they already have an idea of kind of who they are and what they want to do, 
right? Some idea. And so you're expected, if you're evaluated on how, how well a first grader does on standardized tests, uh, then then it's, it's going to be a crapshoot to how these results come out because uh, you, you only just got these students, right? You, you haven't had, it, had a chance to have that much of, of an effect on them, right? Uh, and yet you, you're evaluated for how well they do on standardized tests. Of course, this is not fair. Well, even if it's a, let's say, a, you know, first year in high school student, a ninth grader, even if, if the, the, the system has had them for a certain number of years, you've only had them for a short time, right? You've only just met these students. Uh, and, and the edu educational system has still only been a third a part of their life, right? Two-thirds a part of their life, two-thirds of their lives have been lived away from school, right? And there are... Um, many influences there and to make matters worse usually well I'd, I'd say always that the people who are control in control of kids or at least in charge of kids for most of their time are non-professionals parents are not professionals okay there is no course that you can go to to become a certified parent uh, pretty much, if you have sex and 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 you make a baby, you are a parent, you know. Um, and so, yes, parents are evaluated on how well their their children do in the world to some extent. Um, but they they should be the ones most responsible for the quality. Of student which they send into the educational system and that, that's kind of the the just of this um, <clears throat> yeah uh, the, the, the just of this whole argument right that, that teachers should be evaluated on the quality of their lessons right on the teaching itself and not on the results of their students because too much is just out of their hands and I totally sympathize uh, with this teacher's point of view, uh, having having taught uh, in high schools, junior highs, uh, and and college, um, you just you, students don't or teachers don't get to choose the students they get. It just doesn't work that way, right? They don't get to choose, um, and so. A lot of a teacher's job becomes not teaching a subject, but trying to somehow inspire kids to want to learn, right? By the way, today uh, I am drinking, uh, it probably was the same coffee I drank last week. Um, no, it may not have been. Uh, today I am drinking... Oh, let's see, Costa Rica Coral Mountain that I roasted a little over a week ago, I think. 
Yeah, no, I didn't drink this last week. Hmm. It's got a little fruitiness. Ground it fine today. It's got a little bit of sourness. <clears throat> yeah. So this idea of willing participation, I don't want to. I don't want to go into the whole educational part of it. Like, I. I do know a lot of teachers, and I've been teaching a long time, and and I, you know, totally understand the point of view and agree with it, and I don't even think it's debatable, uh, unless you are a, you know, councilman uh, who is held accountable by, um, uh, you know, the quality of... of uh, well, let's say the standardized tests in your area, right? You're held accountable by how well the education system is working, and and you can only get votes if if the standardized test scores increase. Blah blah blah. So if you have a vested interest, yeah, you may disagree with this, uh, but I don't think any teacher would disagree with this. There are exceptional teachers out there, and there are mediocre teachers out there. And I think there are teachers that start out exceptional and become mediocre because the system just beats them down. And maybe there are even, even some that start out mediocre that become exceptional as they discover their gift. I don't know. Um, but uh, be that as may, I don't think that's a debatable thing. But I did want to go on with this theme of willing participant. Um, and I've talked about this before uh in that one of the reasons I think God is all merciful and all forgiving for all people is that we are not willing participants uh, in the world. We did not ask to be born, in other words, right? Um, there was there was no uh, pamphlet that we read, and and we, you know whereby we we were able to make an educated decision on whether or not we wanted to join this world or not. Uh, no, we were, we were products, we are products of other people's, uh, decisions and choices. And so we, we have come into this world as unwilling participants, right? We, we've had no choice on whether or not to be born. Uh, and so in a sense, uh, I, and I think I've made this case, uh, in other places, we did not sign a contract stating that we would abide by a certain set of rules or whatever. Uh, and if not, we would, you know, we, we would go to hell, for example. We, we've never made this covenant with God. On the other hand, God comes alongside of us after we're born, right? Again, the product of other people's choices. Uh, and and offered us a covenant, you know, from, from this day forward kind of thing, right? But even by that point, we have been born into a world that seems to be in opposition to the way of God. And so any, any chance that we find ourselves on, on the true path to God or, or to Jesus, uh, it's, you know, the, the odds are stacked against us. And, I, and I've made this point uh, before. 
Uh, and this is this is my reasoning to why I think God is all merciful. Uh, and then a lot of the passages in the Bible that seem to state the contrary uh, are from a uh, a broken human paradigm uh, or broken human theology. Right? Um, people don't don't understand who God is. And of course, this is to be expected because of this broken world, this antagonistic world, um, this antichrist world, if you will, that we've been born into. It's to be expected. Um, but this idea of willing participants, uh, I think, is something that, that can be explored in many realms. For example, uh, I have been reading this book called 1493, which I think I've mentioned before, uh, and and the book documents uh, and has been documenting uh, the history of of Northern Europeans uh, on the Eastern Seaboard, especially. That's kind of where it's uh, where it's focusing right now, um, and during this time. Uh, the British were trying to uh, make money from America. Uh, they they had the the Virginia Company, I think, is what it was called, and and the point of that company that was created uh, that had a charter under the, under the king uh, was, you know, like any investment, they, they wanted to invest money into these voyages in order to reap a profit uh, from the land. Uh, in America, and this was the Virginia Company. Well, they discovered tobacco, and tobacco uh, up and to this point was a, a better quality tobacco that was coming from South America, uh, but that was uh, completely controlled by the Spanish. Uh, but they discovered another, another uh, tobacco, which would be cheaper, less quality, but cheaper, but widely available. Uh, and if they would just clear the land and work the land uh, on the eastern seaboard, they could grow this tobacco, and then Britain could start uh, profiting from tobacco. And this did happen, right? Uh, this is this is pretty much what established um, a foothold in America by the British was the uh, the tobacco industry. But they needed workers to work the tobacco, and and. Uh, the land living in, in America was so harsh uh, that fully two-thirds, if not more, of all of the British who ever went there died uh, in, the, in the late 15th and, and 1600s, late 1500s and, and 1600s. Uh, a huge amount of people died, and much of it seems to have been from malaria. Now, malaria... Uh, it's a horrible disease, obviously. And not only did it kill a lot of people, the people it left alive uh, could have returning, reoccurring bouts uh, often. And it left them, it left them um, in a very uninitiated state, right? Maybe this is where we get the, the word malaise, right? Uh, but in a state where nobody wanted to work, they were completely drained of energy. Uh, and and so 
they were having a hard time, number one, keeping workers alive, and number two, keeping workers working. Uh, and at the same time, around this time, a boat showed up on the shore. Uh, I believe it was a, a pirate ship of some kind who happened to have 20 or so uh, Africans captive on the boat. And somehow a transaction happened. The, the Africans were bought purchased or acquired somehow, probably traded for. And so we have the, the beginning of African slaves on American soil, uh, well, North American soil. But the Africans were brought in to work the land, to grow tobacco, to make a profit for king and country, right, for, bring, for Great Britain. And so this was tolerated, and then it increased and increased and increased uh, to the point where there were millions of slaves uh, by the mid-1800s uh, in America, whether they were uh, brought over by ship, mostly in the 1600s, 1700s, or whether they were actually born into slavery on American soil, uh, slavery increased in order to make a profit for Great Britain at least until 1776 when America declared its independence and, and you know, then the profits started staying home, more or less. But uh, this, th this was how slavery was justified by money, right? Uh, we need the tobacco because we need money, therefore we need these uh, African slaves uh, in order to make our profit and and then they you know they justify it in all kinds of ways. They come up with theologies that 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 make it okay, and they they do whatever they have to do to make sure that that money keeps rolling in. The problem with slavery, and this is pointed out now, right? So at some point, Americans decided instead of servants, they wanted slaves. Right, and there's a there's a distinct difference between servants and slaves. Servants choose to work and to serve, right, for a wage, whereas slaves have no choice in the matter. The problem is not having willing participants. Right, we're back to this willing participation. Being an unwilling participant uh, meant that the slaves were were especially in the very beginning, very unreliable. Number one, they didn't share the same language. Number two, they didn't share the same methods and cultures. They didn't know how to do the work that the British wanted them to do in America. So there was a huge learning curve, right? Culturally, probably religiously, uh, lingually, uh, and so on. Uh, not, not to mention just methods, right? Farming methods from the African continent uh, to the British was you know, completely different and then adjust that for a new uh, uh, geographical location on the eastern seaboard that everybody was adjusting to. And it just made a, a difficult situation. So people have argued uh, in this book that it was a really bad decision. It wasn't even a good money decision to bring over the slaves. That um, that willing participants like servants who could have worked off their debts 
for example, would have been a much better idea. You could have brought over British, uh, who spoke the language, who understood the farming methods, and who were willing participants in the work, right? Uh, the problem was that was not working out. That's what they wanted to do in the beginning, and and because of all the sickness and blah, 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 it just wasn't working. The American, America was too hostile, right? It was too cold in the winters, too wet. And so the decision was made to continue with bringing over uh, African slaves, and of course, this is one of the biggest tragedies in history. Um, it continues to wreak havoc uh, in America, and slavery as an institution, though in probably a different form, uh, continues to do damage all over the world. And this is because uh, when you take away a person's will, you take away probably the most human part of them. The ability to think and to make a choice, right? You take away um, their choice. Uh, now, yeah, so slavery, horrible, horrible, horrible thing, uh, and continues to be so. Uh, and actually, I think I, I, I think you can argue that African slavery in America has continued uh, with the uh, incarceration rates and prison system of, of uh, African-American male, uh, African-American males in America. Uh, but willing participation, right? I think is a is a huge thing because Africans in the 16, 16 and 1700s who were uh, brought by force to American soil uh, and then became slaves, they cannot be held responsible, right? They cannot be held responsible for what they did. Okay? They, they did not choose to be where they were. They did not agree to live by the rules of that land. They were forced into it. They had no choice. Now, they could have chosen to rebel, and in which case they would have gotten death, uh, or torture, or punishment, or maiming, or all kinds of horrible things. Um, but willing participation is a very important thing, right? Theologically speaking, I believe that God does offer us the ability to be willing participants. And that actually, God only works with willing participants. And I made this, this point in the past that I don't think God ever imposes anything on people. The only thing that you could say maybe he has imposed is creation itself. 
right? That, that he has created the world. But, but then, then again, you could argue that, that God created the world because his very nature is creativity. It's creative. He is a creative God. That's who he is. That's what he does. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, uh, God only works through uh, willing participants. This is how he chooses to be in the world. Or, then again, I don't think he chooses. I think it's, I think it's his nature, right? Uh, his nature um, begs of him to be this way in the world. And though his abilities and power... Uh, might tell you that he could be different differently in the world. His his nature, right, and his inability to go against his own nature uh, makes him a certain way, and makes him act a certain way in the world. But whatever you do, right, whatever it is you're you are trying to achieve in life. Becoming a willing participant in that endeavor will give you a greater chance of success. Um, there are a lot of things that that have been imposed on me uh, that I've not liked, that I've resisted. Um, perhaps I felt like I was not a willing participant in this or that. And yet people expected me and, and asked me to be a part of it. And I might do it begrudgingly, but almost always in those cases, it does not turn out well. I don't do a great job in it. Um, even though I make a choice to go ahead with whatever thing has been imposed on me, the fact that I don't want to do it pretty much guarantees that it won't be a success, or at least as successful as it could be. Um, well, I'm really convicting myself right now. <laughs> there are so many things like this that come up that you decide to do for whatever reason, but you really don't want to do, and the fact that you don't want to do it, that you don't feel like a willing participant, pretty much means it's not going to go as well as it could, right? Pretty much assures that you are going to do the bare minimum to get by. Uh, in fact, I'm in my head right now, there are a few things like that um, that I'm involved with that, that I could do a lot better if I would just choose, right, to make the choice to be a willing participant. And really my hero in all of this, uh, besides Jesus himself, would be a man named Viktor Frankl, uh, who who was in Auschwitz, and though he didn't choose to be there as uh, as a Jew, uh, he chose to to think think of things positively, to to make good choices, even though he was in a place that he did not choose to make. And so he, he, he changed his mindset, right? Trans, his mind was transformed so that he would be a willing participant in whatever he was doing, 
and and probably a lot of that was based on you know I can't control any of this anyway I might as well control what I can and uh, you know uh, make the best of it which is a lot of, you know is a thing that most people can't do and refuse to do and some of the things that that I would I would think of um, uh, that this would apply to are uh, bad marriages right when you're in a marriage that isn't going well and you feel like you're trapped right you've no longer become a willing participant uh, but you can decide that despite of where you find yourself that you will try to make good choices right that, that you will try to make good choices uh, and and become a willing participant by doing so uh, even when you find yourself in a bad situation um, you should look up Viktor Frankl. I really need to read a book by him, or, or at least a biography of him, uh, written about him. Uh, I, I want to know more about him. But basically, he's the one who said, between um, <clears throat> uh, action and reaction, okay, between action and, and your reaction, there's choice. You have the, you can choose to react however you want, right? You, you, your reactions, though, though they may be somewhat programmed, you have the ability as a sentient being to, to choose to go against your normal reaction and, and to have a different one, right? Uh, you can, you can react positively to, negative actions perpetrated against you. You can, right? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be natural. But you can do it. And I am coming into my place of work. And uh, I hope that you have been a willing participant in this podcast today. And I, I would love you for you guys to participate in it. In fact, I'm kind of brainstorming some ways in which we may make this more interactive and and uh, perhaps more collaborative um, in the future. Uh, so yeah, stay tuned for that. Hopefully something will come up. And uh, yeah, hope you guys have a great day. And uh, thanks for being patient again for my uh, with my laziness and getting these podcasts posted. But as of this morning, uh, I am all posted up. I'm current again. Um, which is good for me. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.